Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. So tonight we're going to get into Second uh, Kings chapter twelve through fourteen, and also Second Chronicles twenty four and twenty five. We're going to be talking about various kings. We're also going to be talking about the death of Elisha, and we're also going to get into one of the most powerful of all the books. Powerful lessons to be learned. I mean, we learned some powerful lessons over the past several days, but this tonight is going to be an awesome one. We're going to uh, read the book of Jonah after we uh, go with, after we read a few a few chapters from Second uh, Kings and Second Chronicles. What I'm going to share tonight is going to be a powerful, powerful message and concept that comes from the scriptures in regards to salvation, repentance. Blood, especially the blood covenant. We're going to be talking about those kind of things because we're going to get into the book of Jonah a little bit later. So, uh, first of all, we're going to get into uh, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. We're going to put them up side by side like we usually do. Share them. I mean, compare them. I mean, and uh, and see what we have going on there. Before I get into this, let me share a little bit of. Uh, let me just have a little bit of heart-to-heart -heart talk with you guys about something, okay? In the past, perhaps even weeks, I have been uh, speaking to somebody who is from a church background and somebody who has has been quite enthusiastic about walking with God. This particular person has had a, a lot of trouble fell into some very deep and dark things, um, almost died many, many times, uh, 30 heart attacks because of certain substances, okay? And over the past so many weeks or so many days, I have noticed something that I know, I know personally, I know many of you know this, but I mean, just this is just a refresh, a refresher, I have noticed that this particular person who has been struggling so much with this evil, and I do believe it is evil spirits that are involved here. And whenever you break the Torah and whenever you, you get deep into these kind of things, uh, there are evil spirits that are involved. It is a spiritual battle. A few things this person has been saying to me, which you know, I mean, it just, on one, on one hand, it's very, very sad. On the other hand, it makes me want to go all the stronger. Because what this person said to me is some of the things that we have been fighting against. I have been fighting against, I know many of you are with me in this, uh, fighting against this false doctrine. And that's what it is. False doctrine. You call it what it is. It is false doctrine. It, 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 if you want to even say it's a lie, it's lies. We, we spoke about this kind of thing before the, uh, in the video there last week, you know, these are the days of Micaiah. You know, we have 400 to one, 400 lying prophets to one true prophet. And I believe that's what we have today, more or less. Maybe not in th those exact mathematical ratio, probably a greater ratio, maybe a thousand to one, maybe a million to one, but it is a great ratio. And so this particular person was telling me, well, you know, um, doing these kind of things won't take you to hell. 
doing these kind of things won't incur the wrath of God on you. Hearing that makes me angry, makes me sad, because that is a lie. That is a lie. And that is the lie that a lot of people believe. And that is why we have so much problems in society today with all kinds of sin and crime. Many of these people, they believe they're good with God, believe it or not. With all of the, the crimes that they're involved in or all of the sin that they're involved in, all of the evil that these people are involved in, they believe that they're good with God. Like I said several um, times before, I'll say it again. Back in the late 90s, I was, I was in a major city in North America, and uh, there was a particular person that was pointed out to me as being a, a pimp. And so I went up to this particular man on the street at night. I went up to this man and I attempted to preach what I believe to be the gospel. Okay, so I, I went up to this man and I said, excuse me, I get a question for you. He said, oh, what is it? I said, do you know Jesus? And he said to me, oh, yeah, man. Oh, oh, yeah, man. I know Jesus, man. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's my best friend, man. I talk to him every day. I know another gentleman who used to be in, in jail, um, used to be in prison, and he, um, he said that a preacher came to the prison to preach, and he knew his fellow inmates in the prison, and he knew how wicked they were, how wicked they are, and how, wicked, how, you know, how evil these people are, what they've done and what they would do if they could. And he said the preacher, the preacher said to this group of guys, how many of you believe you're going to go to heaven when you die? And all of them, ra all of them raised their hand. And this, this guy, he looks around and he's like, there's no way these guys are, good, are, are on the right side with God. No way. But they all believe they were. Why? Because of this false doctrine. This is this false doctrine we have been fighting against for a long time so far. And I will, by the grace of God and Lord willing, I will continue to fight against this wickedness and this evil as much as I can. So this wickedness and this evil says, oh, you know, as long as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as long as you believe in God, as long as you pray, as long as, you know, uh, you maybe you go to church, you know, you're good. You're good. I mean, it doesn't, you know, oh, we all sin, you know. Um, let me, you know what? Let me just pull up something. I'm going to pull this up. Um... Give me a second. I wasn't I wasn't planning on saying this, but you know what? I think I will. Somebody needs to hear this. And again, please share this live stream um, because somebody needs to hear what we're going to say. Um, now, I mentioned this particular uh, band or music musician before. I will tell you this particular band or musician the music is not for everyone okay uh the music is a very a very um uh, very uh hard uh, hard kind of music however the the lyrics to this song is absolutely amazing whitewashed love and i will a lot of people would not would not be able to even stand listening to this. This is very, very crazy music. I'm not going to play it, 
but actually, um, I don't think, I do not believe, you know, I'm going to read the lyrics anyway. I'm not going to play the music. Um, but I, I will read what the author of this song says. Um, every, someone, someone needs to hear this, okay? Especially Christians. Oh, by the way, before we go too far, we have Great Deception joins us here. Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Great Deception. Great to see you. Blessings, brother. Um, so, again, this music is not for everyone. This is really wild, crazy. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to play it. Um, it is like a hard rock slash heavy metal kind of music, but the lyrics, I do have to give credit where credit is due. The lyrics is very, very, very good. It's probably the most, most powerful, um, of, of all contemporary Christian, uh, songs that I've ever, ever heard. Actually, let me read the lyrics first. Let me read the lyrics first. Um, Give me a second. I just want to pull up. Just want to pull up something that's easy to read. There are a lot of different websites that actually have this, the lyrics on it, but the way it's formatted is not very easy to read. Um, okay, well, I'll just pull this one up. So this is a song called Whitewash Love. And it is by a man uh, who used to be in a Christian band called Baron Cross. Um, so I'm going to share this. Okay, and let's read. Listen to this lyrics. Now, this is the lyrics is somewhat sarcastic, but it's it ha the 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 uh, the point is very very good, very well, very well written. Um, awesome, awesome lyrics, if I do have to say so myself. Here it is, um, verse 1. Welcome to the church of, quote-unquote, love, where the preacher stars in the video, teaching partial truth from man-made books like the Charles Spurgeon sort. Seek, and you will find your love gift firmly planted in your back pocket. You'll feel blessed when we digress the gospel to excuse your sin. Quote, unquote, love. It's all about, quote, and unquote, love. Do you want salvation? Well, just raise your hand and repeat after me. I sin, you sin, we all sin. We just say a sinner's prayer and we're instantly free. Quote, that which I would do, I don't do, unquote. Quote, you can't lose your you can't lose your salvation, so sin your brains out. Twisting scripture, using grace as a license to sin in the name of quote unquote love. He'll spit out your love. The whitewashed he spits out. And the chorus just goes, love good, feel good, love. Verse two. Preacher says that's why Christ died, to forgive your endless sins. You understand? Jesus said, repent or you'll die. Repent or you'll die. So who do you believe, God or man? No repentance, no, will beat anyone's, will beat anybody's advertised price. This gospel is free. Free to disobey God and believe the pastor 
all the way to hell in love. He just loves everybody now. Now, so this song, now listen to what, this is This is the, this is the YouTube, um, I just got the YouTube video up there. Uh, this is what Michael Drive, who's the person who actually wrote that song, this is what he has to say. Let me see if I can blow this up a little bit bigger so you guys can see it. Um, I can't. All right. So this is what he said here. Important. Want to know what I think of, of the church today? Watch this. Okay. So that's that. It's, an, it's actually the uh, it's actually the um, uh, the music video of that song. The lyrics that I just read. Now it says, check out these lyrics as this is one of the more important songs I've written. It reveals the corruption that has crept into the teaching of most evangelical churches. Replacing the power of the real Jesus Christ with a powerless, compromised, feel-good, lovey-dovey, ear-tickling, cheap grace, tolerant Jesus that does not exist in what he himself said to do for salvation. Those who deny what I just said are more likely tares in the church. There are many of them and they don't need, or excuse me, there are many of them and they don't know the Bible. It's time to stand up for the real Jesus and and read it, then be heard. Please spread and share this video. It says, um, if you're like me and you're sick of what you're, you're being force-fed in church today. It's time to stand up and make yourself heard. Start doing it now. Want to make sure you're going to heaven? Simple. Read the Gospels of Jesus in the Bible and do what he says. Period. Don't add to it or make excuses. Just surrender. Believe enough to repent of, your, of those sins and do what he says. By his grace and mercy, he will, he'll forgive you. Persecution of the Christians is coming, my friends. Those of you who are riding the fence, it's time to pick a side. You know who you are. Get off the fence. Change your ways and stand up and be heard. Do it now. So this particular person that I was speaking to over the past little while, Very sad situation this person's in. However, this person is in that situation, I believe, because of the church today. There is so much crime. There is so much sin. There is so much evil going on, especially in the Western world today. In the Eastern world too, yes, there is. But the West is so corrupt, you guys know it. And it's because of the church. The salt has lost its saltiness or more, maybe I should say, the salt has lost her saltiness. She has changed salt for sugar. So this person, at least 30 times, probably more, more than that, almost lost his life. It's a miracle this particular person is still alive. Um, and so this particular person is like, well, um, you know, Jesus, because I'm like, listen, stay away from people 
that would lead you down the wrong road, okay? Stay away from the people that would be a bad influence on you. Come out from among them, says the Lord, and be separate. Be holy as I am holy, says God. Be separate, set apart. And he just... <sighs> it's like, well, but Jesus is a friend of sinners. I said, no, he wasn't. That's what the Pharisees didn't understand. The people that they 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 accused Jesus of being a friend. Oh, look at Jesus is a friend of sinners. They didn't understand the concept. Well, just like it's just like Christians, just like a lot of Christians today, they don't understand the concept of repentance. These people that they called sinners, that the Pharisees called sinners, were actually not sinners. They were ex-sinners. They were they used to be sinners. They're not anymore. And, and as it said in Ezekiel chapter 18, once they stop sinning, once they turn from their sins, God looks at them as, that, as if they've never, ever sinned. To God, people like Mary Magdalene, anybody else that followed Yeshua around that has a sinful past, is completely wiped clean. Not because of their faith in the sacrifice, whatever, but because of their repentance. That's what it says in the scriptures. We're going to talk about this a little bit later tonight when we get into the book of Jonah. But you see how Satan, you see how the devil, you know, it says in, in the book of Revelation that the devil deceives the whole world. I mean, he's pretty good at deceiving. Can you imagine? You say you can fool some of the people all, uh, some of the time and not all the people all the time. Well, the devil pretty much does, right? Right? The devil pretty much does. Master at deceit. Master. He's pretty good at what he's doing. He takes a person. He takes a person. And he... He tells them, oh, you know, it's okay to hang around sinners because Jesus did. <laughs> Not, and these people are oblivious to the fact that it says in, in, this, in, the, in the scriptures not to hang around sinners. Come out from among them. Do not befriend. You know, as it says in the Proverbs, a righteous man chooses his friends wisely. So, I mean, the devil sets the stage, you know, lie after lie after lie. Oh, it's okay to hang around sinners. Jesus did. And then the devil uses those sinners to, to lure these people in, to be a bait for these people. And especially when we got the church going, oh, it's by grace through faith. You know, I mean, hey, uh, no, not, not by works. It doesn't matter what you do. You're still going to heaven. Lie. That's what it is. A great big lie. Because it says the opposite throughout the scriptures. So this is one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why we do what we do, right? I mean, to make a better world, to keep people from such evils. To strengthen the saints and to protect and encourage those who will be saints.
and to be salt, to be the salt of the earth. Okay, so um, what can I say? That's that's the problem. That, that is the problem in the world today, especially in the Western world. Uh, again, you know, the Eastern world is bad too, but I mean, they got their own problems. Uh, and uh, and the Eastern church is not so bad as, let's say, the American church is in that. And you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, but I believe the truth and knowledge will get you it will save you from a lot of trouble. You know the truth, you know knowledge. I, I believe that fantasy and lies lead to nowhere good. Caballero says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Caballero. Good to see you. Welcome. And this is a good one too. Kingdom Concepts, the fake news of Exianity is damnable. Yes, Absolutely. Hundred percent. The real truth says no one is being force fed. People are hiring those preachers to tickle their ears. Yeah, I understand what uh, Michael's saying, though. I understand, you know, um, because people are just being fed this stuff, and I mean, they don't really know what they're being fed. They're they're being fed they're being fed lies. They don't know they don't know that it's lies. <laughs> yeah, one John says I had one yesterday say they don't believe in the Torah, they believe in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't drive an automobile, I drive a car. Vida says, Shalom all, Elohim bless you all. Shalom, blessings, welcome. Elohim bless, it, bless you more. Billy T says, how would you define repentance? Um, the best I heard was, uh, was that repentance doesn't mean being sorry. It means being different. Stop committing the sin. Yeah, that's that's really what it is. Um, I say pretty much the same thing. I might say in a, in a little bit different way. And, and, you know, some people say, well, you know, it says that, you know, metanoia in the Greek, you know, from the from the if you depends on where you where you translate the word repentance, right? If it's from the Hebrew or for the from the Greek, um, if it's from the Greek New Testament, it's usually metanoia, which is um uh, you know, literally, if you look it up in the Strong's, it means change your mind, but it doesn't. Strong's may not be 100% perfect all the time because you read Hebrews chapter 12 and it says that Esau sought repentance with tears, but could not find it. So obviously he changed his mind, but he did not attain repentance. So repentance doesn't necessarily mean notice I say it doesn't necessarily mean to change your mind because some people change their mind and they still cannot repent so repentance means I would boil it down to one word change just simply change Esau couldn't change he did what he did it was unchangeable even though he was sorry he he regretted it um you know 
there was a lot of remorse. So repentance doesn't mean being sorry or regret or remorse. Even if you go forward, you know, people go forward in, in church meetings and they cry, you know, and they, oh, Lord, oh, God, have mercy on me. That's not repentance. That's just, it might, it might be godly sorrow, but it's not repentance. Repentance is when you really change, really change. And so, yeah, repentance is turning away from your sin, turning to God, pursuing God, doing a 180, turn your back on sin. And that's that's how I would define repentance. Yeah, the uh, real truth said pretty much what I just said here. My understanding is repentance, turn 180, never go back. Yeah. Question for Move says, I recently found someone who used to be a Torah observant Christian for seven years, but later converted to Islam. What are your thoughts? He's really great, by the way, very knowledgeable. Um, so my thoughts are Torah observant Christians come in a vast variety of different. Uh, it's a, there's a wide spectrum of Torah observant Christians. There are, believe it or not, there are even Messianic Christians, Torah observant Christians that eat pork. I mean, f go figure. I don't know how that works, but there are people who claim to be, you know, 100% dedicated Messianic Christians, you know, Torah observant, so, but they still they, but they eat pork. Um, so just because they might say that they were a Torah observant Christian or even, even are a Torah observant Christian, but I would dig deeper how... What does that mean to you? How deep, how do you apply? How do you understand the law? How do you apply the law? How do you understand the Torah? Um, all that kind of stuff. What do you, because, you know, some people th say that I'm a Torah observant Christian, yet, uh, no, we're not saved by observing the Torah. We are saved by faith in Jesus. But it says in the Torah, you're saved by observing the Torah. It's almost like these Torah observant Christians, Torah observant Christians that eat pork. It's the same thing. It's like I see I see so much of that. Um, so many videos of people saying, yeah, I'm Torah observant or whatever. Uh, I believe in being Torah observant. I'm Torah observant. But no, it doesn't save us. You know, we're saved by grace through faith. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess you didn't read your Torah. It's like, what in the world's going on here? Even Yeshua himself taught, you know, told us how we're saved. Right? So um, in regards to Islam, I will say this. Islam is closer to the truth in many ways, I'm not saying in every way, in many ways than Christians are. Okay, so very interesting. I, I would dig deeper into when people say Torah observant, it, it doesn't really mean it doesn't really mean what you think it might mean. Vida says. Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, the key about Ezra, right, Torah. Let me just re I'll pull it up. Okay, uh, I think I got it now. Here we are. This is Nehemiah, or Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could, all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read 
from it in the open square that was in the front of the water gate from morning till midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Yeah, so Ezra brought out the law, brought out the Torah before the assembly. Yes, very interesting. The key about Ezra, right, Torah. Yes, it reminds me of Second Esdras as well, which is uh, purportedly about this about Ezra, that actually, uh, he actually basically rewrote the Torah according to Second Esdras, not changing it, but re- basically writing it from scratch again uh, under the guidance of, of the Lord. Very interesting, Vita. Thank you for sharing that. Pete says uh, Hebrew word shub or shub shub means to turn or return. Yeah, teshuva. Greek is not as good. Yeah. Going nowhere is a good question. How does one know if they have the Holy Spirit or not? You know it. Um, and it, what I would highly recommend is do a study, personal study on uh, from the book of the Shepherd of Hermas. It talks about the Holy Spirit there. I like that rendition of, um, I like that, in, what did you say, that um, how it conveys how the Holy Spirit works in someone's life uh, better than what you hear or read from some of the other, like Paul or even perhaps even the Gospel of, of John. Going nowhere, says, did Jesus have... Did Jesus really have long hair or was his hair on the shorter side? According to some of the documents that or people actually wrote about the physical appearance of Jesus, yes, he did have long hair. It makes sense if he was a Nazarite, which I believe he probably was. Um, I mean, at least under the Nazarite vow. This is amazing. Uh, question for Move. Uh, spot on, he says. I've even heard Muslims say, we follow Jesus better than you. You follow Paul. And you know what? They're probably right. They're probably right about that. Yeah, I would say so. You know, and I, I never really looked at it in that from that angle before. But yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of like practicing uh, Muslims actually do uh, they're more like Jesus than, than a lot of Christians are. And the Christians do follow Paul, right? Travis says a little choppy here. Okay, yes, choppy here too. Okay, thank you for letting me know. Okay, I'll take this question and then we'll jump into the, the reading for tonight. We've got a very interesting read. Again, we have some new people joining us. What we're reading is uh, 2 Kings 12 to 14 and 2 Chronicles 24 to 25, comparing it. Very interesting passages of various different kings and the death of Elisha as well is in there. And we're going to jump into the book of Jonah after that powerful message that we can learn from Jonah as well. So going nowhere says, uh, were certain Old Testament figures meant to be a foreshadowing of Christ? I ask this because I've been reading about similarities between Moses and Jesus, Samson and Jesus. 
um, were they meant to be a foreshadowing of Christ? It's a hard one to answer because it's like the way, the, like as if it was predestined, that, okay, so that uh, Moses was predestined to be like a foreshadowing of Jesus or Samson was predestined to be like a foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, they definitely do have, all of the all of those figures definitely have similarities with, with Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Um, and since Jesus came after them, at least in the incarnation, if you want to look at it that way, um, Jesus came after them. They, um, they were, uh, you can say that Jesus actually was more of a reflection of them, you know, because Jesus would have been right into the scriptures, reading the scriptures, all that kind of thing. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to put it. It's like, um, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, but we can definitely look at a lot of these, especially David, right? David as well. Um, and many of the other uh, figures of the of the Tanakh, uh, they they all have a, a they all really have a lot of fulfillment in in Christ. That's for sure. Great Deception says I don't identify with Christians anymore. Totally know where you're where you're at for sure. With you there, Tammy says Shalom all Shalom Tammy. Welcome. Good to see you. Welcome. All right, so let's get into it. This is the um, the reading for tonight. Second Kings chapter twelve on the left hand side. Second uh, Chronicles chapter twenty four on the right hand side. I'll start with the left hand side. In the seventh year of Yehu, Yehoash became king, and he reigned for forty years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Okay. Second Chronicles says Yoash. Okay, so that's different than Jehoash, as in Yoash, uh, although I'm pretty sure the footnote here says it's the same, probably. Uh, Jehoash or Yehoash is another spelling of Yoash in Hebrew. Okay. So Yoash was seven years old when he became king. And he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zebiah from Beersheba. Now notice it says, Yoash was seven years old in Chronicles, but yet in Kings it says, in the seventh year of Yehu. Now, without getting into a deep study tonight, maybe... You know, it'd be interesting to look into was did was Yoash born the actual year that Yehu became king or born? It depends on how you want to in, in, interpret this. The seventh year of Yehu. Okay. Interesting. Verse two of Second Kings. Yehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, and Yehoiada the priest instructed him. Second Chronicles, Yehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Yehoiada the priest. He doesn't talk about Yehoiada the priest instructing him there. Second Kings, only the high places did not end. The people were sacrificed 
or the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Second Chronicles, Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he fathered sons and daughters. Okay, so that's, that's totally different. Um, let's go back over to Second Kings chapter 12. Then Jehoash said to the priests, all the money of the sacred offerings, which is brought into the house of the Lord in current money, both the money and uh, of each man's assessment and all the money which anyone's heart prompts him to bring to, into the house of the Lord. The priests are to take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair damage to the house wherever any damage is found. Now, I believe this is found a little bit down more down. The temple repaired. Um, Okay, so let's read 2 Chronicles 24, verse 4. Now it came about after this that Yoash decided to restore the house of the Lord. He gathered the priests and Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to repair the house of your God annually, and you shall do the work quickly. But Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the contribution of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the congregation of Israel for the tent of the testimony. For the sons of the wicked Athaliah had broken into the house of God and even used holy things of the host of the Lord for the Baals. Let's go over here. Second Kings uh, chapter 12, verse 6. But it came about that in the, th the 20th or 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had not repaired any damage to the house. So King Jehoash summoned, summoned Jehoiada, the priests, and all, other, and all the other priests, and said to them, Why do you not repair damage to the house? Now then, you are not to take any more money from your acquaintances but give it to the uh, give it for the damage of the house uh, the priests then agreed that they would not take any more money from the people nor would they repair damage to the house quite a bit different there but we'll see what So verse 9 of 2 Kings 12 says, Instead, Jehoiada the priest took a chest and drilled a hole in, it, in its lid and put it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put, it, put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. When they saw that there was a great amount of money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest went up and tied it up in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they handed the money which was assessed over to, uh, to those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid, out, paid it out to the carpenters 
and to the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and to the and the stone cutters, and for buying timber and cut stone to repair the damage uh, to the house of the Lord, and for everything that was laid out for the house to repair it. However, there were not made for the house of the Lord silver cups, shears, bowls, trumpets, any receptacles of gold or receptacles of silver from the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. For they gave that to to those who did the work, and with, with it they repaired the house of the Lord. Moreover, they did not require an accounting from the men into whose hands they gave the money to pay uh, to those who did the work because they acted faithfully. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. So let's go over to 2 Chronicles 24, verse 8. So the king commanded, and they made a chest and set it outside by the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation in Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the contribution commanded by Moses, the servant of God, on Israel in the wilderness. All the officers and all the people rejoiced, and they brought in their contribution and dropped it into the chest until they had finished. It happened that whenever the chest was brought to the king's officers by the Levites, and they saw that the money was substantial, the king's scribe and chief priest's officer would come and empty the chest and pick it up and return it to its place. They did this daily and collected a large amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord, and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the, and the repair work progressed in their hands, and they restored the house of God according to its specifications and strengthened it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and it was made into utensils for the house of the Lord, utensils for the service and for the, and the burnt offerings, the pans, and utensils of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Now, Jehoiada reached a good old age and died. He was 130 years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David with the kings because he had done well in Israel and for God and his house. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king and the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served Ashiram, the Ashiram and the idols. The Ashiram in the footnotes. Oh, what's happened here? For some reason that took me up. Um, yeah, Ashiram in the footnotes. That would be um, wooden sim- symbols of a female de- deity, which is also Ashira. Okay. Um, so the so wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them uh, to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them 
but they would not listen. Okay, so um, let's go back over to 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 17. Then Haziel, the king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it, and Haziel was intent on going up against Jerusalem. So Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred offerings that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had consecrated, and his own sacred offerings, and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the, uh, and of the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. Then he withdrew from Jerusalem. Now, as for the rest of the acts of Joash and everything he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants rose up and formed a conspiracy, and they struck and killed Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Selah. For Yazakar, the son of Shemaeth, and Jehoshabad, the son of Shomer, his servant struck him and he died. And they buried him and his fathers in the city of David, and his son Amaziah became king in his place. Okay, so we're in 2 Kings chapter 13 right now. Okay, let's read 2 Chronicles 24 right now, verse 20. Then the Spirit of God uh, covered Zechariah. Just a second here. Then the Spirit of God covered Zechariah, or Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, like clothing. See, there we go. Spirit of God covering him like clothing. That's pretty cool. And he stood above the people and said to them, this is, what the, this is what God has said. Why do you break the commandments of the Lord and do not, do not prosper? Because you have abandoned the Lord. He has, he has also abandoned you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the house of the Lord. So Yoash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Zechariah, uh, Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had shown him. But he murdered his son. And as Zechariah died, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against Joash, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people, and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men, yet the Lord handed a very great army over to them, because Judah and yeah, Judah and Yoash had abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. So they executed judgment on Yoash. When they, when they left him, for they left him very sick, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they murdered him on his bed. So he died, and they, bur- they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Now these are 
are the men who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shemaiah, the, the Ammonitus, and Yehazabad, the son of Shemrith, the Moabitus. As to his sons and the many pronouncements against him and the rebuilding of the house of God, behold, they are written in the treatise of the book of, of the kings. Then his son, Amaziah, became king in his place. Second Chronicles chapter 25. So let's just go over here in 1 Kings first, chapter 13, verse 1. First, this is 2 Kings, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. In the 23rd year of Yoash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Yehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel at Samaria. And he reigned for 17 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jehoram, the son of Naboth, into which he misled Israel and did not turn from them. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he continued against them over to Hazael, king of Aram, and to Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. Then Jehoahaz Yeho appeased the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. And he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Aram oppressed him. And the Lord gave Israel a savior, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Arameans, and the sons of Israel lived in their tents as previously. Nevertheless, they did not abandon the sins of the house of Jehoram, into which he misled Israel. Rather, they walked in them. And the Asherah also remained standing in Samaria. For he left to Jehoahaz no more of the army than 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 infantry, because, of, because the king of Aram had eliminated them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now as for the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Jehoahaz lay down with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And his son, Joash, became king in his place. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, this would be Joash, uh, in the footnotes, see here in the footnotes, in Hebrew, Yehoash is another spelling for Yoash, or Jehoash is another spelling for Joash. Yehoash or Joash, um, the son of Yehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for 16 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Naboth, into which he misled Israel. Rather, he walked in them. Now, as for the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Ju Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash lay down with his fathers, and Jehoram sat on his throne. Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. When, when Elisha, or Elisha, when Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die, now became sick in the footnotes, um, was sick with his sickness, 
Yoash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, Lay your hand on the bow. And he lay his hand on it. Then Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window toward the east. And he opened it. And Elisha said, Shoot. So he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory and the arrow of victory over Aram. For you will defeat the Arameans at Afak, Afek, until you have put an end to them. Then he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king, Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. In the footnotes it says, Stood still. Then the man of God became angry at him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you put an end to it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. And Elisha died, and they buried him. Now the marauding bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year, and as they were burying a man, behold, they they saw a marauding band. And they threw the man into the grave of Elisha. And when, a, when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Uh, let me just stop here for a second because it's I think it's very interesting, uh, these two things that, that happened here. The, uh, the shooting of the arrow, the striking of the arrow on the ground, and also the whole story of the bones of Elisha. Let me just let me just say a few things here because a lot of people don't see a lot of people can just read over this and not even see. So when you perform when you do something, you you're you're actually activating the spiritual realm. If you do something that's good, if you obey Torah, for example, good, a great example, best example, you obey Torah, you are activating the angels, you are activating the Spirit of God. You know, so when you obey, when you do something in this physical, material world, you are actually, you're connecting with the Spirit many times more, many more, many times that you don't even know about. Okay. So actions can be a connection with the spiritual realm. This is why a lot of people who are possessed of evil spirits, which I do believe that there are evil spirits and they do actually uh, possess people, um, possess, oppress, doesn't matter. Whether the, whether the evil spirit's on the skin or under the skin, what's the difference, okay? If you have an evil spirit, you have an evil spirit. But I believe that the evil spirits would come because many times, if not all the time, at least most of the times, the evil spirit would come upon somebody or go into somebody because of what they do. They open a door, so to speak, for these evil spirits to come and oppress them, possess them, afflict them, whatever the case is. So 
physical actions connect to the spiritual realm. You can activate evil spirits or you can activate good spirits, if you, if you can put it that way. Angels or demons, if you want to say it that way. Um, so that's very important to understand. It's, it's the act of, it's like a prophetic act. Remember we read this before where uh, it, it, it talks about how these, the musicians that played for David would prophesy on their instruments. Because a lot of people think about a prophecy as being like uh, just always words that a prophet may, might speak or someone else might speak. It's prophecy. But not always. Prophecy can be actions without words. As they say, actions speak louder than words. Uh, and so doing things too can be can activate in the in the in the spiritual realm. It's like you can you can prophesy with with your actions. So in this case, Second Kings chapter 13, where we have um Elisha, okay, and he's speaking with the king and he's saying take your take your um take your arrow shoot it out the window right so that was a prophetic act take your arrows take the other arrows and strike the ground with it that was a prophetic act and so doing that was actually prophesying so the king was under the command of Elisha the king was prophesying by his actions However, he didn't prophesy correctly, as we, we just read. So that's number one. Number two is, and this is what I've been saying all along, you know, that objects can contain or link to the spiritual realm as well. Physical, inanimate objects. In this case, we have the grave, the bones of Elisha, which was endued with the power of resurrection. Now think about this for a moment, because this is very, very powerful. Because you'd think if the bones of Elisha, if the bones of that body in the grave had the power to raise the dead, why didn't it have the power to raise itself from the dead? You got to think, like, what happened there? Whatever conclusion you come to the fact still remains and physical inanimate object can be used to link to the spiritual realm like Achan with his devoted object like Paul with his aprons and handkerchiefs a physical object could be anything could be anything can link to the spiritual realm it can, it can be a good link to the good part of the spiritual realm, or it can be a bad link to a bad part of the spiritual realm. You see, witches today and necromancers today know this very well. Christians ought to know it. Pastors ought to know it, but they're so ignorant of this. People in the other part of this, from the other side, okay, I mean... They know this very well. That's why they get, you know, if they want to conjure up a spirit, they get a physical. If they want, if they want to conjure up a spirit of old Uncle Jack, whatever, they they want a physical thing from him. Get his wallet. Get a piece of his hair. Get whatever. Okay. Get a piece of. His, get his shirt. Get his clothing. They know this stuff very well. 
if anybody who should know it should be pastors, should be Christians, should be believers. They should be they're they're the ones that should be knowing this stuff more than anything because they they should be experts when it comes to the spiritual things, but they're not. Elisha's bones in the grave was a direct connection to the spirit of resurrection, to the power of resurrection. This is what we just read about. Let's continue. Verse 22. So this is 2 Kings 13, verse 22. Now Hazael, king of Aram, had oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned, turned to them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was unwilling to eliminate them or cast them away from his presence until now. When Haziel, king of Aram, died, his son, Ben-Hadad, became king in his place. Then Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, again took from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken in war from the hand of his father, Jehoahaz. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. Okay, um, here we are. This would be a little bit more in line with what we read over here in 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Okay, so um, okay, I'm just going to continue with 2 Kings 14, and then we'll jump over to 2 Chronicles. Second Kings 14, verse 1, In the second year of Joash, son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoiadim of Jerusalem. Okay, so Second Chronicles 25 says Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem All right so this this corresponds with verse 2 of 2 Kings 14 and his mother's name was Jehoadan of of Jerusalem so Jehoadan is a little bit different than Jehoiadin over here uh 2 Chronicles 25 verse 2 and he did he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. So it says something very similar over here in verse 3, 2 Kings 14, verse 3. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He acted in accordance with everything that his father Joash had done. Only the high places were not, were not eliminated. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it came about as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his hand that he killed his servants who had killed the king, his father. But he did not put the sons of the murderers to death in obedience to what is written in the book of the law of Moses as the Lord commanded, saying, The, the fathers shall not be put to death for the, for the sons, nor the sons shall be put to death for the fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. 
So this is 2 Chronicles 25, verse 3. Now it came about as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, as he killed, or excuse me, that he killed his servants who had killed his father, the king. However, he did not put their children to death, but did as the as it is written in the law of the uh, in the book of Moses, which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for, for, for sons, nor sons be put to death for fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. Back over here to Second uh, Kings verse 14. He killed 10,000 of the Edomites in the days of, or excuse me, in the valley of salt, and took Selah by war and named it Yokthiel, as it is to this day. And Amaziah sent messengers to Yoash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let's face each other in combat. But Jehoash, king of Israel, sent messengers to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush was, that was in Lebanon sent word to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But a wild animal... But a wild animal that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thorn bush. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart is elated. Enjoy the glory and stay at stay home. For why should you get involved in trouble so that you would fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up, and they faced each other, he and Amaziah, king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and they fled, every man to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. So he took all the gold and silver and all the utensils which were found in the house of the Lord and, all, and in the treasuries of the king's house, the hostages as well, and returned to Samaria. Now as for the rest of the acts of Jehoash that he did and his might, and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehoash laid down with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel, and his son Jehoram became king in his place. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived for 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now, as for the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the books, the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? They, they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and they fled, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent men to Lachish after him, and they killed him there. Then they carried him on horses, and he was buried in, in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Amaziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. 
uh, in the footnotes, Azariah Uziah, or Uzziah, Uzziah, right? Reminds me of second or Isaiah chapter six in the year that King Uzziah died. So this Azariah would be Uzziah, King Uzziah. So all the people to, uh, of Judah took Uzziah or Azariah, who was 16 years old and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king laid down with his fathers. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Yoash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Yoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not abandon all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, into which he misled Israel. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the misery of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free spared, nor was there any helper for Israel. Yet the Lord did not say that he would wipe out the name of Israel from under heaven, but him by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now as for the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he fought and how he recovered from Israel, Damascus, for Israel, Damascus and Hamath, which which had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Jeroboam, or Jeroboam, laid down with his fathers, with the kings of Israel, and his son, Zechariah, or Zechariah, who became king in his place. Now let's polish up here on Second uh, Chronicles chapter 25, starting with verse 5. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 5. Moreover, Amaziah assembled Judah and appointed them according to their father's households under commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds throughout Judah and Benjamin. And he took a census of those from 20 years old and upward and found them to be 300,000 choice men, able to go to war and handle spear and shield. He also hired a hundred thousand valiant warriors from Israel and a hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel come with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, nor with any of the sons of Ephraim. But if you do not, excuse me, but if you do go, do it. Be strong for the battle, yet God will bring you down before the enemy. For God has the power to help and to bring down. Amaziah said to the man of God, But what are we to do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord has much more to give than this. And Amaziah dismissed the troops which came to him from Ephraim uh, to go home. So their anger burned against Judah, and they returned home in fierce anger. Now Amaziah gathered his courage and led his people out 
and went to the Valley of Salt and struck and killed 10,000 of the sons of Seir. The sons of Judah also captured 10,000 alive and brought them to the top of the cliff and threw them down from the top of the cliff so that they were all dashed to pieces. But the troops whom Amaziah sent back, those not going with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beit Horon and struck and killed 3,000 of them and plundered a large amount of spoils. Now, after Amaziah came from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought the gods of the sons of Seir and set them up as his gods. Then he bowed down before them and burned incense to them. So the anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah, and he sent, a, he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people who have not saved their, uh, their own people from your hands? As he was talking with him, the king said to him, Have we appointed you to be a royal counselor? Stop. Why have you? Why should you be put to death? Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has planned to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah, king of, uh, king of Judah, took counsel and sent word to Yoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, Come, let's face each other. But Yoash, king of Israel, sent a reply to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush that was in Lebanon sent word to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thorn bush. You said, Behold, you have defeated Edom. And your heart has lifted you up in boasting. Now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you would fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, to, would not listen, for it was from God, so that he so that he might hand them over to Yoash, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Yoash, king of Israel, went up. And he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Beit Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and they fled, every man to his tent. Then Yoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Yoash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beit Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. He took all the gold and silver and all the utensils which were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom and the treasures of the king's house, the hostages too, and returned to Samaria. And Amaziah, the son of Yoash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Yoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel from the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord? They conspired against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish, but, but they sent him after him to Lachish and they killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. Okay, so I'm just going to quickly go through some of these comments before we 
get into the book of Jonah. I'm not going to get into anything deep right now. Uh, we want to get into the book of Jonah here and talk about that. Uh, in the meantime, let me just quickly scan over a few of these. Sergeant, Sergeant, welcome, welcome, brother. Blessings to you. To Yah be the glory, says, agreed actions cause spiritual consequences. I'd add our words spoken and thought can have the same effect. Yeah, to different, to varying, to varying, uh, various degrees, I believe, especially our words, right? It says in the, in the uh, Proverbs that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And yes, and this is, you know, again, you look at... Um, in the scriptures, all the way through the scriptures, the way of blessing somebody is by the by words. I mean, by deeds as well, but by words as as well. Words can release, as I as I said before, as I like can activate angels, can activate the spirit of God, or words can also activate evil spirits as well, depending on what, what we what we say. And thoughts can can lead in that direction if we if we allow them to. Yes. Yeah, which is exactly what you said in the next verse here, basically uh, meditating on the wrong thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting and very important to understand. Like when we obey the Torah, it's not just for our, like there's so much to it, right? I mean, there's so much, it's so rich. When we obey Torah, it does activate angels, you know, um, how it says that he set his angels uh, he said his angels over us, lest we, lest we should dash our feet against a stone. But also says that angels are assigned to those who would inherit salvation, right? So not to everybody. Angels are not set in place for everybody, not necessarily, at least not in all cases, but especially to those who are in line with, with the word of God. One John mentions the mezuzah. Very good, yes. And this is just as, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is just as good. I mean, you know, writing your the commands on paper and putting them on my door, yeah. Alex says, um, hi, I'm probably so late. Well, we, we haven't got into the book of Jonah yet. Uh, we've So there's lots to talk about there. So welcome by the way alex and blessings blessings so no you're not you're not you're not too late to uh to receive something and to be blessed by this fellowship and the word of god just caught my eye here i haven't read all all the comments but i'm off grid 2.5 acres in colorado sounds sounds uh, sounds good sounds really good Okay, so let's do this. Book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, let me just stop there for a second. Notice how, you see, when we read through the scriptures, we need to read it consistently. What I mean is this, like, again, 
a lot of people who treat the letters of Paul or any other epistle by that, other epistles as well, as if it is like Jonah or as if it's like Isaiah. I mean, Paul didn't really... I mean, I know somebody, some people might argue saying, well, he had a vision. Well, lots of people had a vision. I mean, millions of people had visions. Um, but yet he didn't, he doesn't speak like a prophet. He's not a prophet. People treat him like a prophet. Um, same with the, some of the other apostles as well, disciples, apostles as well. Not, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're right. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying that what they say is true. I'm not saying what they say is false. I'm just saying that notice how they talk. Notice how they write. They don't write like, thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to me, saying yada, yada, yada. Or, you know, like how Ezekiel, you know, vision, the burden of the Lord came to me. I got a vision, and this is what I saw in the vision, like like detailed like that. You don't read much of that. In, in, um, so when you got books in the Bible, that don't read like that. Don't treat them on. Don't treat them the same because they're not. They're on. They're not. They're not created equal. I guess that's what I'm. You know, that's the bottom line. That's really the point I'm trying to make. Is a book like Isaiah versus a book like Galatians? They read completely differently. Right. So let's not treat them as equal, or you know. Isaiah, Jonah says, the word of the Lord came. It's very authoritative, right? Lots of authority here in the way it's worded. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go up to Nineveh, the, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. Now, this is an allusion to prayer. Okay, so at this point in time in history, I would encourage people to pray against the sins of of the of the land. You might, if you want to say, against the sins of the nations. Okay. Many in many ways, certain parts in many ways, certain nations have gone too far. And I know somebody would say, Well, there's always hope. Well, yeah, but I don't think people understand how far Western culture has fallen. It's fallen so far. To actually turn it back to where it should be would would be a major, major, major culture shock to everybody. And it is biblical to pray against the sins, to ask God to avenge, to ask God to judge. We know the saints in the in the book of Revelation are crying out to God, how long, O oh Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? We have the people in the days of uh, 
according to the book of Enoch, right? It was uh, the prayers against the sins of the people of the days of Noah that caused God to say, okay, that's it. We're done. I'm, 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 I had it. I've had it. Okay. I'm going to clean up. Same with Sodom and Gomorrah. Same with Babel. Babel, Babylon, Bab the Tower of Babel, all that kind of thing. And here too. Because the wickedness has come up before me. How did it come up before him? It had to have been through prayers. Just like in the same way it was in the days of Noah, in the days of the Sodom and Gomorrah, in the days of Babel. It had to have been through prayers. People had enough of praying for somebody and started saying, God, do something about this. This sin is too grievous. This wickedness and this, it's just vile. You need, there needs to be a divine intervention to do whatever needs to be done here. Judge. Judge with righteous judgment, Lord. Be vexed, as it says in Ezekiel chapter 9, where the people were vexed over the sins of the land and they were praying. And those are the ones who were marked with the mark of God in their forehead. The ones who were praying, basically, almost like, it doesn't say in these words, I, I, I concur, but I mean, it, it, the implication is there. I mean, they're vexed. They're praying against the wickedness of the people. Because of their wicked, because their wickedness has come up before me, cry out against it. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's a bad thing to do. You don't want to flee from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Yapa or Joppa found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and boarded it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Why would you want to go away from the presence of the Lord? You see, not everybody appreciates the presence of the Lord sometimes, right? Like today in a lot of charismatic circles, you got, oh, you know, the feel the presence, feel the presence, oh, loving and sweet. Beautiful. However, it, the presence of the Lord can be can come in a different form too, as it did to Jonah. It can come in the present, it can come with glory like it was in Solomon's day and Moses' day in the book of Acts as well, but also uh, it, can, it can come like this, where Jonah is like, I can't stand the presence of the Lord here because the presence of the Lord is telling me to do something. Basically, I don't want to go cry out against the sins of the wickedness of Nineveh. Verse 4, however, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. So, you know, God uses natural disasters or nat nature to discipline, to show his favor or his not so, you know, his displeasure. He uses that. So when, when there's a, a great wind, when there's a great storm, sometimes you need to ask, what did we do? Why is it like this? Why is nature acting up like this? Verse 5, Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo from 
They hurled the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it or to lighten it for them. See, they lost probably lots of things, lots of valuables, lots of money. It cost them. Now, this is a good example of someone who bore the consequences of another man's sin, but didn't, but didn't, they were not paying or they were not, they did not pay ransom for Jonah's sin, if you know what I mean. Like they didn't pay, like they didn't take Jonah's place and, you know, the vicarious atonement kind of thing where it's like, Jonah will die for you. You can live. No, no, that's not how it went this way. It, they bore the consequences of Jonah's sin, but they did not. They did not take the wrath for Jonah. Big difference. But Jonah had gone below into the stern of the ship and had laid down and fallen asleep. And it reminds me of uh, Yeshua, right? When he during the storm, that's what happened. So the captain approached him and said. How is it that you are sleeping? Now, this is, this, is kind of, this is kind of amusing because we have the person who caused it all sleeping where everybody else is fighting for their life. The person who caused it all, who caused the wrath of God to come and everybody else paid, you know, bore the consequences of it, as I just mentioned. Um, yet the the person who was the guilty party was the one who was sleeping, sleeping, sawing off logs. Verse six, so the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Very good question. Get up, call on your God. I'm surprised the translators didn't put this as a capital G. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let it, let's cast lots. Good idea, cast lots. Lots have always been, doing this has always been the way to pick, to choose what God chooses, right? Like how they chose between the goats, how they chose who got the clothes of Yeshua, how they knew that was Achan that was in the camp that was causing all the trouble, how they knew in this story how uh, who it was on the boat that was bringing the wrath of God to the boat. How they chose it's 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 the method through which God sh shows you what He chooses, where He can point something out, be it animal, be it person, whatever. In Acts chapter one, He God pointed out Matthias as the one to replace Judas. Come, let's cast lots so that we may find out on whose account this acastrophe has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and from what people are you? And he said, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely afraid and, and they said to him, how could you do this? Now notice how 
notice, let me just, before I go too far here, notice how Jonah answered these men. He specifically pointed out that he fears the God. In other words, he serves, because this word fear actually is actually re- implying that he, it's, he's, that's his God. You know, because the question is like, what, what is your God? You know, uh, call on your God, basically. Uh, what, you know, tell me about yourself. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea. I believe he specifically pointed that out because of the fact that the sea was the, that was the problem there. It was the, what was the, the storm of the sea. Verse 10, then the man, the men became extremely, extremely afraid. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will become calm for us? The sea. Okay. Since you, since you serve the Lord God of the sea, Tell us how does how does uh, how do we solve this problem with the sea? For the sea was becoming extremely stormy, and he said to them, "Pick me up and hurl me into the sea." Then the sea became calm. Then the sea will become calm for you, because I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. <laughs> That's quite the uh, humble thing to, I mean, Jonah must have, it must have been quite humbling for him to admit, you know, oh, by the way, guys, all of the riches that you lost, everything that you had on this ship, all of your, all of your possessions that you had to throw off your ship. Yeah, well, that was my fault. Verse 13, however, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not because the sea was becoming even stormier against them. So, I mean, they tried they tried everything they could to preserve the life of Jonah. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord and said, we earnestly pray. So they, now all of a sudden, now they're, they're praying to God. They're praying to the Lord. We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea, the sea stopped its raging. You see? It's almost like when Phinehas, you know, with his spear, how, you know, he, he stopped, he stopped the wrath of God. Verse 16, then the men became extremely afraid of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You wonder, what kind of vows did they make? What kind of sacrifice did they make? And the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, now, I want you to notice something. I used to believe, and I know many of you 
maybe you still do, I'm not sure, but as a child, especially when you hear about the story and about Jonah was in the belly of the fish and then, then the fish spit him out. I used to believe that Jonah remained alive in the fish. I don't think that anymore. I don't believe that Jonah remained alive in the fish. I believe he died. I believe he died. And, and he was resurrected. Like how we see several other instances in the Tanakh of resurrection. Well, remember, even Yeshua said, as you know, the the sign of uh, Jonah, right? The uh, the sign of Jonah, Jonah was that he was basically buried in the fish, and then he was resurre- resurrected. And Yeshua resurrected as well, so it's consistent. Jonah chapter two. Now, as I read this, think about this. Think about him as be actually dying, which I do believe that's what he that's what happened. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. Sounds like the Psalms, doesn't it? I called for help from the depth of Sheol, from the belly of Sheol, right? The grave, or as some people believe, this is a place of the departed, the dead. You heard my voice. Now, this is very much like the Psalms, like some of the Psalms speak in the very same way. And again, in the Psalms, when it speaks like this, I believe it is talking about the death and resurrection of Yeshua. Verse 3, For you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. See, you threw me, not the men. So Jonah realized that even though it was these pretty much unbelievers. I mean, probably by that time they were, they were believers, instant believers after, you know, a few hours of what they went through. But but they threw Jonah into the sea and Jonah didn't say, but, you know, but those men threw me in the sea. No, but you threw me into the, into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the current flowed around me. See, it's so important to understand that some of the things that some of the people around you do is actually from God. It's actually God. They're just instruments. They're just basically pawns on the board. But it's actually God that's moving them. And Jonah was wise enough and discerning enough to see that. All your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Again, sounds very much like in the Psalms, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I have been cast from your eyes. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. There's the promise or the hope of resurrection there. Water encompassed me to the point of death. Very, very plain there. Let's see what it says in the footnotes. Literally, soul. Water encompassed me to the point or the soul of death. The deep flowed around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I descended to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, from the pit, from corruption. Lord, my God, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. 
in the footnotes, while my soul was within me, while my soul, excuse me, while my soul within me was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worthless idols abandon their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Again, there's that hope of resurrection. I will sacrifice to you with the hope of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. The God of the sea and the dry land, as Jonah said earlier. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go up to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through this, the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now notice how we don't have all the details here because it doesn't tell us earlier that that's exactly what God told him to preach. But obviously that was exactly what God told him to preach. So it's not like exhaustive in its detail here. Uh, verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. That's pretty wise. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Right? So whether you are a prince or a pauper, you were fasting. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, removed his robe from himself, covered himself with burlap, sackcloth, and sat on the dust. And he issued a proclamation, and, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no person, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. In other words, everybody, everything, birds, animals, flocks, your, your pets, whatever, Everything is to fast. You and all of your animals are all to fast. Think about this. You got people today out on the street sometimes calling people to repent. And people just walk right by them as if they're crazy. People ignore them. Nineveh, not even being a Jewish city, an Assyrian city, knew enough and had enough wisdom to repent, to listen and repent, to fear God. And, you know, I, again, I blame the church today for stripping and robbing the people from the fear of God. Because everybody doesn't have, oh, why should I fear God? I mean, God is love. You know, God loves me. God, God. It's like Barney, you know, that big, uh, you know, from the 90s there. I love me, you love me, we're just one big family. Barney, I love you. I, that's that's how they are, they are, they believe about God today. It's like God is like the big Barney in the sky. 
No wonder they don't fear God. Again, I blame the church. I think the church needs to fast from their whole love doctrine and go in to start really preaching what God is actually like scripturally. It should be a fast. They should actually be preaching the word of God without holding anything back. They are not to eat or drink water. For how long? Who knows? I mean, until God until God sees and, and has mercy upon. I guess I guess you know the king um, believed no, believed Jonah so much. It's like, listen, we got a we got a we got a choice here. It's either we die in forty days, or we die from hunger in forty days. I mean, we die from the wrath of God, or we die. You know, one or the other. Either way, we're going to die. So let's fast, everybody, and all their animals. Very wise. Very wise. Verse 8, but every person and animal must be clothed with sackcloth. And animal. Clothe a good old rover with sackcloth, burlap. And people are to call on God vehemently. And they are to turn each one from his evil way. This is the pinnacle of this book right here. This is the point of turning right here. Pun intended. Turning in more ways than one. This is the point in this book, in the book of Jonah, that did it all. This is what, this is what it's all about right here. They are to turn each one from his evil way. Notice he didn't say, oh, we just better make sure that the sacrifices have been done properly and the blood, that everything's covered because it seems like we're not covered because, because God's going to destroy the city. He, the wrath of God is upon us. He, is, he, he has brought up our sins to, against us. And obviously we don't have that forgiveness. We don't have that atonement. He did not say that. Because that's not how it works. He knew enough, even though he's not even part of the, is not even, is, is, is in a Syrian city. This is not Jerusalem. He knew enough to know how God works. In fact, I will say that the kingdom, the king of Nineveh knew God more enough, more, more than Christians do today. The king of Nineveh knew more about God than Christians do today. It should be the other way around. He knew that if you turn from your sin, God will look at you as if you've never sinned. He will forgive your sin. As it says in Ezekiel chapter 18. That's why he said, they are to turn, right? Do teshuva, right? To turn, to to really repent, each one from his evil way and from the violence which is in their in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger, so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way. See, that's it. It doesn't say when God saw 
Oh yeah, well they built a temple in Nineveh. You know, being an Assyrian temple, they didn't have a temple like like uh, Jerusalem. Oh, God saw that the blood covered their sins. No, absolutely not. God saw their deeds. What deeds? That they turned from their evil way. That's it. Then God relented of the disaster which he declared he would bring on them. So he did not do it. Again, this is how it works. A lot of people, a lot of Christians do not understand. They do not get it. No capiche does not, because, you know, they, they still have this Paulian doctrine going on in their head. This whole thing about, well, it has to be blood. Um, Ezekiel, or Hebrews chapter 9, where it talks about, you know, this is one of the one of the biggest verses um, that they um, they quote, right, in the Christian world, where it's like, well, um, you know what, let me just pull it up. Let me just pull it up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, it's right at the top there. It says, and almost all things are uh, by law purged with blood and without blooding of, the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Um, first of all, this is hyper-literal to say, to say it as, as if it's like 100% in all cases, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. But in context, this is not talking about people. This is talking about things. All things. If you read and you really, really study the Torah, you notice in the Torah it talks about the things of the temple that must be cleansed, that must be atoned for. There has to be atonement made for the altar. There has to be atonement made for the uh, furnishings of the temple. Atonement must be made for the things with blood. Why? Because things cannot repent. Things cannot repent. I wish people could understand this. Things do not repent, but they can still have, quote-unquote, sin. They need atonement, as it says clearly in the Torah. That's why all things are to be purged with blood. Notice, if you read it in the Torah, like they, they, had, to, they had to literally provide atonement for the things of the temple, not people. Now, to, to even see this clear, go like the verse before. The verse before, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood the tabernacle. What? This is not talking about the people. The tabernacle in all the vessels of the ministry. Okay? This is talking about the things that need atonement according to the Torah. Very, very important, and people know this. Christian, a lot, most Christians don't know this. They think it's talking about people. It's not, not talking about people. And of course, they bring up, uh, well, look at uh, Leviticus seventeen eleven. Well, seventeen eleven, again, seventeen Leviticus seventeen is talking about dietary laws. It's not talking about atonement. The whole, the whole purpose. Uh, the theme of the book of Le or Leviticus chapter 17, the theme of that passage is about dietary laws. It's don't, don't eat the blood because it's, it's the blood that makes an atonement, an atonement, not the only atonement, an atonement. Because as we see, uh, you know, in the, this is why the Jewish, this, a lot of Jews, I mean, well, 
It's no surprise that Jews would know their Torah more than Christians do because Christians spend more time in the New Testament than they do in the Torah. But Jews would tell you that the blood is actually one of the least effective ways of atonement. And they know that because if you study the Tanakh thoroughly enough, you see how it's the blood. Yes, it is possible in some circumstances that it, that it provides atonement, but not in all. In fact, for the, it's, it's repentance that does it all. Because it says there are many ways it talks about. We, we, we went through this as we read through the Torah. If you haven't been with us when we read through the Torah there a few months ago, we read through the Torah. We went through every single word of it. Praise God. Hallelujah. We went through every single word of it. We went through all the different ways of atonement, right? One was through blood. Again, that's not a very effective way. Another one is through um, giving of money, the atonement money. Um, and that's what the uh, Acts chapter 10 is all about with, with Cornelius. The alms. It was his alms that came up as a memorial before God in accordance with the book of Numbers that says that the atonement money will come, will bring up an, a memorial before God. That's another way of atonement. Not the blood, but money is another way of atonement. Another one is prayer or incense. Okay, There are various means of atonement in the Torah. Not just one. Various. Various different channels, if you were to go down. And the greatest, by far, by far the greatest, is repentance. In fact, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I, you know, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice. Almost, you know, as it says in in Leviticus chapter 17, it's just talking about one of the one of the means of atonement. Now, to say that blood ha there has to be blood for atonement, you might as well say there has to be atonement money too, and there to, for atonement, and you might as well say there has to be um the incense too for atonement. Why? Because that's what it says in the Torah. It says blood for atonement, incense for atonement, money for atonement. But you know. You don't always have to give money to atone your soul. You know, you don't always have to burn incest, incense for atonement for your soul. And, all, and likewise, you don't always have to shed blood for atonement of your soul. And uh, Jonah is a good example. That's not to even mention the book of Daniel, where it talks about a lot of stuff going on with Nebuchadnezzar and stuff like that, uh, which, of course, they didn't have any, any for, for how many years they did not have any kind of... Um, they weren't even in the Holy Land, let alone doing any kind of um, uh, sacrifices or anything like that. Nothing like that was going on for a long time. So it's very, very important to understand this because this is where Christianity goes bad, badly wrong. If I can, I know that's bad. <laughs> that's a that's a bad grammar there, but hey, you know what I mean. It goes, Christianity it goes bad when it comes to this, thanks to their interpretation of Paul's letters. And so, super important. Let's go on over to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah's displeasure rebuked, uh, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Okay, so why would Jonah become angry? Well, I mean, God told him. 
you know, uh, go to Nineveh and, and say that God will destroy the city. And all of a sudden God says, uh, I changed my mind. I'm not going to destroy it anymore. What? You know what I went through, God? You know what I went through to, 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 to do what you want, to say that what you wanted me to say, but now you go back on your word? I guess he wanted God to destroy the city. Right? I guess he wanted God to destroy the city. But again, um, there's this overarching principle. There's this overarching principle all the way through Scripture, all the way through the creation from Genesis all the way till the end of the world. Okay, From the beginning to the end, there's this overarching principle. You repent, i.e. turn from your sins. You stop doing wickedness. You stop doing evil. You stop sinning. You do what's right and good in, in the eyes of the, of the Lord, according to his word. God will forgive you, and God will not charge any sin against you. You will, you will find that remission, that atonement there. And, you know, let's not, um, you know, some people do a play on words, right? It's like, well, atonement doesn't mean remission, remission. I mean, it's like, let's not play on words, okay? Atonement is is atonement. And yes, maybe if you want to go right down to the nitty-gritty, say atonement is when you repent and that's that's making atonement and then forgiveness is what comes from that. I mean, let's not get, let's not split hairs over this. It's, it's you know, more or less basically the same thing. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Then he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, this was not what I said when was, excuse me, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish. Since I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents of disaster. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Wow, was he ever hit hard, wasn't he? Wasn't he hit hard? Now look at how he was hit hard. I mean, he was going, you know, boo-hoo, right? Like, uh, I, I want to die now. Like, this is how bad it is. Uh, and look at how the Lord says, oh, I'm sorry. No, he didn't say. He said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Verse 4, right? The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? And Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God designated a plant in the footnotes, a castor oil plant, and and so through and, and so throughout the, the uh, chapter. And it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head, to relieve him of his discomfort. Uh, I wonder how long it took to grow. I wonder how long Jonah was actually sitting there or living there, basically, under this plant. How long did it take to grow? And Jonah was overjoyed about the plant. But God designated a worm. See, see don't be too proud over, you know, about something like this. When you put, I guess, jo I guess Jonah had more joy over the plant than he had over God. So God designated a worm 
when dawn came the next day and it, and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God designated a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with, with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. But God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? Again, so God asked him, do you have a good reason to be angry? And do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? So Jonah is quite the angry. He's quite angry here for various reasons, or in various ways, I should say. And he, and he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. <laughs> angry to death, can you imagine? Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? Amazing. Amazing, amazing. So that concludes, it's kind of like an abrupt ending, isn't it? But that concludes the book of Jonah. That concludes the book of Jonah. We went through the whole book of Jonah. And so very, very interesting and a very, very powerful, many different powerful lessons tonight through the scriptures. It's awesome. I love it. I love reading it. And uh, yeah, amazing. So See what we got here in the comments. One John, very good question. When saying grace before a meal, should we ask God's blessing or should we bless God? We should bless God. Now it's not that it's not that it's wrong to ask a blessing, but I mean the the real the the way to do it is to bless God. You know what it says when Jesus. Uh, blessed and then he broke the bread it doesn't mean you know it's it's i i gotta shake my head when i hear christians going you know oh thank you god for this food i pray you bless it and bless it to our bodies bless it let it be nutritious to our body that's not blessing god i mean that's that's acknowledging him but god didn't say that he that we should bless the that we should ask him to bless the the food I mean, he will bless the food, but don't get me wrong. But we should just bless him, thank him, and and just trust him. I mean, thank him for for the food. So yes. So asking God's blessings, nothing wrong with that. But we really should bless God more than anything else. Thank you for the question. Very good. Great Deception agrees with me. Yes, Christopher, he died in the belly. Yes, I do believe so. And uh, I used to believe that he didn't die. I think, how did that happen? Oh, wow, that was amazing. But reading that, I'm thinking, this is he's talking about death here. He did die. Yeah, yeah, he did. Okay, once again, I don't see. Uh, I don't think I missed anything that was that. Uh, was specifically addressed to me. And if you have any more questions that are specifically addressed to me, please put at Christopher in the live chat so it will stand out to me. But in the meantime, I'm just going to 
quickly. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get to any, I'm not going to get to all of these. That's for sure. I'm just going to have to skim over some here and see what we got in the live chat. And this is a good point right here. Great deception. People prayed for a revival. It's happening now. People can't see it. Yeah. That's really, really good. I like that because they're, what they pray, like they're praying for a revival. And yes, it is happening right now. Um, but they don't accept it because it's against their dearly held beliefs. They don't recognize it. It's just like how if Yeshua came back today and walked into the church, nobody would recognize him. Actually, I don't think he would. I don't even think he would go to church. To be honest with you, he'd be going to synagogue, right? I mean, I, I think he would be, but I think he would be quite appalled at the church. Appalled, pun intended. This is a very good one too. To Yahweh the glory, like awesome, uh, really good. Repentance is near impossible for the proud. Humility is the prerequisite for total repentance. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. You cannot be filled with pride. You cannot be proud with, and, and repent at the same time. It's part of repentance includes humbling yourself for sure. And you need to be humble in order to really repent. I, I get that. It's absolutely true. It's vital. Absolutely vital. I've always ever said, like it's been 30 years now since I've been really seriously walking with God. And um, it's always been on my heart to minister to the church, basically, or to to be like the, the church actually needs it more than anybody in a way because of its. Even back then, 1992, I saw how bad it was. And it's way worse now. But um it's very misleading to go to a church or to even have a pastor that is so far removed from the truth and wearing the name of God. Very, very misleading. And the, the evils of society today, I blame it on the church. The church is not being what it should be. The church doesn't, you know, I, I actually, uh, several years ago, I actually met with one of the pastors of a denominational church. And I, I told him, I said, listen, I, <laughs> I think you guys probably know me well enough know now, well, well enough now to know that I, I, I'm pretty, I can be kind of blunt, right? So I said to him, I said, you know, the church has lost its saltiness. The church needs to be like you guys are influencing, whether you know it or not, you're influencing society. You're either influencing influencing it in a good way to, towards holiness or in a bad way. And he denied him. Of course, he denied. The, the pastor denied that, he, that, 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 that the church was influencing anything. I'm thinking, what in the world are you here for then? And what good are you then? If you're not influencing anything, what good are you? Yeah, question for move. You noticed a trait. Yeah, you don't think the Torah the Torah is applicable any uh, fully, fully anymore. Yeah, I mean they don't understand. I suppose uh, 
that they are, you know, got, they're required to do whatever they can do. Sergeant, I didn't see, I actually just, I probably would not have seen this. It didn't have at Christopher in it, but it's really special hearing you read the story I love. I feel like Yona, every time I talk to my Christian friends, I got to love them. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, Sergeant. This is a, uh, you know, the real truth says my church kicked me out when I started keeping the seventh day Sabbath, told me I was not part of them. Yeah, they're, you know what, you know, I think that these, I, I don't know what church you're talking about, but I wouldn't doubt these are the kind of people that say, oh yeah, you know, we should love everybody and you know that God, we should be an extension of God's loving hand and God's unconditional love and acceptance. These kind of people are all the same. These kind of people are all like that, right? You you um, you challenge them a little bit. You do something outside of the box. They'll block you. They'll they'll cancel you. Get out of here. We don't want you to fellowship with us anymore. So much for their love, right? So much for their love. Yeah, real truth says I was asked to withdraw my fellowship. Yeah. You know, you know, sorry to hear that real, real truth, but um, perhaps, I mean, they're just condemning themselves. They really are. Uh, I think about where it says in the scriptures that um, in some cases, you know, divisions are necessary to, to prove what is good and what is, what is, what is not so good, what's good and evil. If they're part of the evil system, well, you, you, then you're not. Part, then you're not uh, you're not part of them. This is very powerful. Uh, great deception. Very powerful. Very serious as well. Like uh, I believe to take his name in vain is to say you're his and not walk as he walked or the father's instructions how to walk. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. That's an amazing uh, concept. Yeah. And, you know, it's very serious for sure. The real truth says, yep, I was told never to speak of it again within my family. That was 30 years ago. Yeah, again, sorry to hear that. Kingdom Concepts, I'm typing the 10 sayings in ancient Hebrew. Awesome. Awesome. So important. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. I like the way how you, you said the 10 sayings. So. Okay. So, um, looks like that's. Okay. So. That'll be it for tonight. Um, tomorrow is another day, Lord willing. By the grace of God, we'll get into more scripture. This is awesome. I mean, this is really, really awesome. Some really awesome stuff here. Some good, really good spiritual meals every single day. Good scripture reading, uh, good scriptures here and fellowship. You guys are awesome. The comments and the questions you put in there and the advice, uh, all that kind of stuff is just amazing. You guys are you guys are amazing. You guys are awesome. Blessed.
And you guys are blessings. You guys are blessings. Okay. All right, then. So we'll see you guys again tomorrow. Same time, same place, Lord willing, 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll continue with uh, some more scripture reading and uh, fellowship questions and live questions and answers like we always do. It has been an awesome evening. As always, you guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. Blessings multiplied, you guys. Alex says, thanks. You're welcome, Alex. Good to have you. As always, you're welcome here. So I'll see you then. Blessings multiplied to you guys. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.